The future of business is responsible. El futuro de los negocios es reescribir el crecimiento de las empresas. Conscious commingling of growth and impact. Le futur du business est conscient et responsable. The future of business is intentional and transparent. Welcome to the Future of Business podcast produced by Oxford MBA students. My name is Catherine, I'm your host for this episode, and I'm very excited to be bringing you this conversation with one of my classmates, Ryan Kaplan. I'm going to let Ryan introduce himself. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm Ryan. I am from the U.S. I am a father and a husband. I have three children here with me. And yeah, just finished a, I'm, I'm a one plus one MBA, just finished a degree in, a master's degree in sustainability enterprise in the environment here at the University of Oxford, uh, where I focused on waste and circular economy and agriculture. And I'm doing the MBA now and excited to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. So to get us started, we're asking all of our guests this first question to kick off. So what's a preconception you had before coming to Oxford or coming to the business school that has since been changed in your mind? Yeah, coming to Oxford, I expected there to kind of be an intellectual barrier, maybe people mm, stuck up, I guess you could say. And it is definitely intellectual and sometimes that's a barrier when I don't feel that way but people are incredibly nice incredibly kind incredibly open I've and incredibly down-to-earth I've been very 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 impressed with the with the people who are here it's great to hear uh, so you mentioned that you're interested in in waste management uh, I think you've, you've acquired a bit of a nickname around the business school as the trash man or the garbage man uh, so can you actually tell us how you got interested in in waste management yeah, I welcome that. I, I am, <laughs> garbage is my thing. Uh, so I originally got interested, it was back in 2008, I, this is dating me, I graduated from high school in 2008 and then moved to Jamaica. And that was the first time I had been out of the country. I was a volunteer missionary for my church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I found myself in in spending a lot of time in Spanish Town, Jamaica and another areas of Jamaica, and it was the first time that I had encountered uncollected waste, waste lining these, it's a beautiful, beautiful island, beautiful beaches, beautiful forests, beautiful everything, um, but waste is lining the, the rivers and the, the roads, and I remember once coming upon a, a canal with water flowing down, and there were children playing in the canal, and I could see the garbage just flowing down this canal. Uh, that the children were playing in. And I just got thinking and, and started wondering about all this. Like, could, could something be done with this to, to take care of the, to the, of the waste, to recycle it or, or make better use of it? And also thought like, about just the, the human connection. And lots of times we think about waste as an environmental issue, which absolutely it is. And I care about that. But it's also a very human issue. Like, we think about waste as, uh, or, or the environment as humans impacting the environment, but, but I also started to think about how the Im- environment impacts us as humans, and if, if we can have cleaner environments around us, what, what does that do to our outlook and to potentially the opportunities that we feel like we can pursue? And so I started thinking about all these things uh, back then, and just over time, it, it grew. 
Interesting. And so what was the next step in your in your waste management exploration journey? Yeah, so I, I went back to the US after after two years there in Jamaica, um, in the Caribbean, and started my undergraduate, uh, my, my bachelor's degree. And I did projects on waste whenever I could, and eventually that led to doing some research with a Ghanaian PhD student who was studying uh, urban development. And I, I researched waste management in developing countries with him. And his name is Ransford, and he is so influential. I'm so grateful for Ransford. So we, we did this, this research over the summer, and then at the end of it, he encouraged me and invited me, said, you've got to go to Ghana for yourself. Like, you've researched this, but you've got to go to Ghana for yourself and, and see what it's actually like. And so that stuck with me. It took me a few years, but I, I eventually did make it to Ghana on a Fulbright Fellowship where I researched waste management and um, waste disposal behavior specifically and focusing on inner city areas, um, slums and, and the areas of, of Accra in Ghana that, that were most well known for having waste management challenges. And anything in particular that came out of your research there? Yeah, it was it was super surprising. So I, I went in with with some yeah preconceptions or hypotheses around what what might be the issue, and that I would um, focus on on plastics. That's the very public problem. Um, and when asking people about you know why, first of all, how do you I. I I would take any opportunity I could get, um, whether riding in a taxi or talking with anybody in, on, on the streets there in Accra, to ask them, how is waste management? How do you view waste management here? Is it done well? And the answer was always, no, it's not done well. And so I would follow it up with, why? Like, what, what's the problem? And people would say, um, typically, two or three things. It would be, oh, education. People lack education. They don't know what to do. Or people have bad attitudes about waste management, and so they don't they just don't care. And and I guess those are, those are the two big things that I heard over and over. And then when I actually went in and spent, you know, pretty much every day in, in these areas, just what I heard was not consistent with what I saw. People did care. People are out sweeping their houses every morning and, and tidying up. And, and, and people did know, at least at a basic level, what, what you should or shouldn't do with waste. They, and, and people did not like that that waste wasn't managed well, but it was out of their control. So, so my mindset totally shifted toward like, this is, in, in my view, not an education problem. It's not a behavioral or attitude problem. It's a problem that with the system. There is no system in place to, to enable people to dispose of their waste properly. People have to walk up to a half a mile carrying their waste. And when they walk that half mile, they'll get to an overflowing garbage container, a com communal garbage container. And somebody will be there and ask them to pay money, and they'll pay the person money, and they'll throw it on the ground, or they'll burn it on site. And so, people people are smart. <laughs> they know that they it, it's in their best interest not to walk the half mile carrying their their waste, just to pay a lot of money so that somebody else can burn it. They'll get rid of it on their own. All right. So. We've heard some concrete examples that you've seen in a few different countries. Let's just take a step back and get the basics of waste management down. What are the kind of different categories of waste? What are the different approaches we can take to waste management? Just complete, you know, waste 101 from Ryan. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm mostly focused on uh, municipal waste. That's that's my interest. There's also industrial waste and you know nuclear waste and and other kinds of waste. Um, but within municipal waste, there's your typical paper, plastic, metals, textiles, uh, cardboard, organics, and and then you know. A, a variety of other wastes, but but those are those make up the vast majority of of the waste in the in a typical waste stream. And yeah, historically it's been viewed as a linear system where you buy something, you use it, and then you throw it away at the end of at the end of its life. And so just very linear. Um, but there's a lot more emphasis now on on circularity, and that's that's my interest as well. So. A couple of a couple of the basic frameworks are uh, the waste hierarchy, which you know, starting the the optimal the optimal activity is to prevent waste, reduce waste, um, and then to reuse, to recycle, to uh, recover recover energy from waste typically, and then to dispose in in that order. Okay, great. So. If that's where we've been, you know, and we're trying to move away from this kind of linear approach to waste, what's, what's a, a better direction we could head in? Something to do, you mentioned circularity before, is, is that, you know, a, a hopeful future direction? Yeah, yeah, very hopeful. Um, so circularity or the circular economy, the best known institution, I, in, in my opinion, uh, pioneering work in, in this area is the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So they put out this uh, principles for the circular economy that include um, eliminate, eliminating waste and pollution, circulating products and materials at their highest value, and regenerating nature. So those are, those are three of the, the main principles of circular economy that they put out. And they've also put out this really great graphic, the butterfly diagram, which, which breaks out the, the circularity um, or, or the waste material flows into bio- a biological cycle and a technical cycle. So on the biological cycle side, you've got organic waste and agriculture and all of that and, and ways of dealing with those materials and recovering the highest value from them and, re- and reincorporating them into nature, recovering the nutrients and, and eliminating waste there. On the, technical, on the technical cycle side, that's where the, uh, it's like manufactured products. And so that's where reusing, refurbishing, uh, or repairing, recycling, and all of that comes into play to keep to keep those uh, materials in, in their best and highest use and, and continuous use over and over. Excellent. So I'm going to try and get us to get some of these waste management frameworks a little bit more concrete. So we are here in Oxford right now. And just so we can have a sort of better understanding of, of some of these kind of practices around waste management, I understand you've looked into a little bit some of the waste management um, practices here in the town of the city of Oxford. So really interested to hear what you've learned. Yeah, yeah, there are some, some interesting things happening around here. Um, my, my favorite one is on the organic side. So there is food waste collection, segregated food waste collection uh, here in Oxford, at least for some subset of of businesses and households, and the food waste here goes to to a place called Severn Trent Green Power, which is just a few miles northwest of here. And I had the opportunity to visit there a few months ago and take a tour, and it was absolutely fascinating. It's an anaerobic digestion facility, which means that the food waste is is uh, 
prepared first and then and then basically put into these giant tanks where the food waste breaks down in anaerobic conditions, so without oxygen, and releases biogas, uh, which essentially is methane mixed with a, a few other gla- gases that are scrubbed out. And it is used to, to generate electricity. So they've got they've got five large anaerobic anaerobic digestion chambers, and those feed into the gas feeds into two uh, one megawatt power generators. That's enough, I think, for 3,500 homes in the area. Uh, electricity needs. So really, really interesting there. Yeah, amazing. Uh, and so, what are we doing about non-organic waste? Yeah. So. So recyclables, uh, the recyclable materials are taken to, at least for, for the University of Oxford, and, and this may vary throughout the city, um, but the University of Oxford's recyclable materials are taken to uh, a, what's called a MRF or a material recovery facility, which is basically a sorting and recycling center um, just west of Oxford a little bit. And so, yeah, the, the materials go there, they're sorted out, and I'm not sure because this varies region by region and site by site. Um, I'm not sure exactly what happens to the materials there, if, if some of them are actually recycled locally or if they are just sorted out and, and basically packaged up and, and sent somewhere else for, for recycling. So that's on the recycling side. And then the residual waste stream that isn't organic waste and isn't recycled uh, goes to the, the Ardley ERF's Energy Recovery Facility is a waste energy plant or an incinerator north of, of Oxford. And so the residual waste stream goes there and is incinerated and generates generates electricity too. Um, and I, I looked into this a little bit more. And so that is the roughly the 15th largest ERF or waste energy plant in the UK. Okay, great. Going back to that kind of global lens, what are some of the kind of challenges, opportunities, trends you're seeing in, in waste management. And I'm particularly interested to hear what for you the role of business is in, in these these challenges and trends. Okay, yeah. So one one trend that I've seen is is around corporate targets. So there are more and more corporations are are issuing targets for both recyclability of the materials of their packaging or of their products and also the recycled content that is incorporated into those like products and packaging, and and more and more, the companies are actually receiving pressure to follow through on on these commitments that they've made. There have been commitments made for a long time um, that haven't been met. Uh, so so take any of these in any of these corporations with these targets that they now have to actually recover these materials. They need more materials as feedstock, uh, recycled feedstock into their into their products, which is which creates a lot of opportunity for companies or startups who are able to do a better job of collecting these materials, separating them out of the waste stream, making sure that they are recovered and supplying them to these corporations so the corporations can also meet their targets. Um, so this this is a big opportunity area and it's it's even more important right now for corporations and corporations are even more willing to to engage in this and to pay because of the high prices of virgin feedstock right now oil prices are are high which means that plastic virgin plastic is virgin plastic prices are also high um, so there's there's more of a market for recycled plastics and and likewise with other materials so it's a yeah that's that's 
one one opportunity area, one trend that that I think will continue. Another one is around design, just entirely designing waste or non-recyclable materials out of products. So much opportunity here, and that gets to the to the very core of the of the waste hierarchy of eliminating, preventing, reducing waste in the first place. So within that, there's uh, potential for standardizing around certain plastics, the most recyclable plastics, and potentially even banning less recyclable plastics or hard to recycle plastics and, and other materials that or, or laminates or or composites that that are extremely difficult to recycle. So that's that's kind of a second opportunity area is, is in design. And then third, uh, extended producer responsibility, which it, which means that companies or producers need to take responsibility for the materials that they that they produce or the packaging that they use in their products. And there's so much so much opportunity here, although it's a challenging thing. Um, one of the challenges being how can you operationalize this? How does it actually work? And how can you hold the companies responsible? Does it happen through some type of taxation or does it happen um, through some more specific imp implementation? Uh, and I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for, for startups who are willing to figure out how to solve this problem. Ryan, what's the role of government in managing or responding to these trends, these challenges and opportunities? Yeah, so pretty much anywhere in the world, government has ultimate oversight over waste management. And that's that's both through the actual operations and implement, implementation of, of waste collection and disposal, um, which is typically done through contracting with a third party that actually, that handles those, uh, handles the operation. And then the other side of it is the, the policy side. And so enacting good policies that and, and laws and everything that um, around how waste is handled, what should be done with it uh, around corporations, companies and, and how and, and what what their requirements are as well. So the opportunity within government, I think there's a lot of opportunity to collaborate with with the private sector, of course, like that's that's often said more government collaboration with the private sector um, to drive to drive more innovative solutions um, but in one thing that you you can see a lot in in waste management is is there there are often some big companies that are in there and it makes it difficult for startups or or for smaller companies with with more progressive or innovative ideas to really gain hold and gain traction and be able to change the the current model of waste management. So one opportunity is for government to to open up that playing field to to do more to encourage that innovation from the bottom up with with startups and new technologies to come in um, and and add to what these established players are already doing. Um, there's also a lot of a lot of potential around policymaking, looking at things, including the potential to ban certain materials or certain combinations of materials that really have no hope of of being recovered in any way. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of direction that government can can provide in in that way as well. Um, but often they need to take they, they need to follow the lead of of what's happening in in science and technology that that enables those new models. Yeah, and what, what are some of the kind of tech innovations that, that we're seeing in this space? 
So there's there's a lot of work right now. One area is around sorting and, and recycling materials. A lot of work in robotics and AI, uh, in being able to much more effectively sort different types of materials, recognize them using image recognition and and robotic machinery um, to dramatically in, improve the uh, the or dramatically lower the contamination rates of materials and make it much uh, more effective to to pull recyclables from from a mixed stream of materials. Um, there there's innovation in blockchain, for example, in in leading uh, a lot of opportunity around tracking of materials and and better collection and recovery of, of materials and potentially uh, potentially feeding into extended producer responsibility and 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 schemes around that or or return schemes that that individual companies can operate. Um, I'm no expert in, in blockchain, but there's there's a lot of interesting work uh, upcoming in that as well. All right, Ryan, we're going to talk to some of your more recent research. In your introduction, you mentioned that you did um, a master's last year as part of the One Plus One program, and I'd love for you to talk a bit about the research you did as part of that master's. Yeah, so the reason for me coming back to to school is to pivot back full full time into the waste space. That's what I care about. That's what I want to be in, and specifically in Sub-Saharan Africa. I absolutely loved the, working there in Ghana and loved the problem. Loved the people who were working on this problem who I was working with. <clears throat> and there's, I just feel like there's so much opportunity to 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 change the way things are are done, um, and and to work with really great people who are who are on the ground doing this. So, so I knew coming into this sustainability program that I wanted to do, wanted to further my, my research and, and focus it somewhere waste-related in Sub-Saharan Africa. And following my time in Ghana, like my, my view started to shift away from plastic waste, which is a very public problem, everybody sees it, um, and toward organic waste, which is really what causes more problems for people. If you think about as a household that needs to dispose of waste, which one causes bigger problems. The, the organic waste that rots and smells and attracts uh, rodents and insects and can be a disease vector and you basically have a couple days to get rid of it before it brings all these things or plastics that may take up a little bit of space but really are inert. And, and if you can pull out the organic waste and segregate the organic waste from the waste stream, then it also increases the value of the remaining waste uh, or the remaining recyclable materials because they're not contaminated. And so I, I started thinking much more about that and, and knew that I wanted to focus uh, more on organic waste. So that's that's really what, what led me into my, my dissertation research this last year. Um, and through a series of connections and conversations, um, ended up <clears throat> focusing on East Africa in Kenya and organic waste management using black soldier fly larvae, or you can think of it as maggots. It is absolutely fa fascinating to me, um, very gross, which I think even adds to my interest in it. Uh, but so I, I was able to, to go to, I spent the first half of the summer in, in Nairobi and also a couple weeks in, in Western Kenya along Lake Victoria, uh, researching organic waste management using black soldier fly larvae. So what are these? It's Basically, it's a certain type of fly, and in its larval stage, it eats organic waste, and then over the course of a couple weeks, matures and can be fed as a high-protein feed source for animals. 
so fish, chickens primarily. It is, there's so much opportunity in this space and I, I left even more convinced than I, than I began um, of the potential for black soldier fly larvae as an organic waste management method. Um, so yeah, I, I can talk a lot more about that, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a profound mental image. Um, I so I suppose most people are probably going to be thinking, aren't flies like harmful? But uh, you've reassured me that black soldier flies are a specific type of fly that um, that is optimal in this space. Yeah, they are a specific type of fly, and they there are a few things that are unique about them. And one is that they are not a, a pest, so they only eat in their larval, larval stage means when they uh, when they actually emerge as a fly they don't eat um, they they just live off the the food that they've consumed as a larva that means that they they're not they're not the same as a as, as a house fly they're not a pest and they don't spread disease like like other types of flies might so and and as far as how they're how they're reared, how these are the colonies are maintained, basically, you've got these flies that are in a say one meter by one meter or a couple meters by a couple meters uh, netted cage. The flies mate, they lay eggs. You take the eggs and <clears throat> uh, allow them to to hatch into these little tiny larvae, and then feed them with organic waste of any type. So food waste, agriculture waste, um, potentially even uh, manure that's been treated. And they eat. They, they eat a tremendous amount. Um, this is, to me, it's mind-blowing and, and just kind of indicative of, of the potential for this. But a kilogram of these eggs, which admittedly is like millions of eggs, it's, it's a ton of eggs, but one kilogram of these eggs can consume a ton of organic waste, so a thousand kilograms. So it's it's a, in, instead of I, I think I'm getting ahead of myself instead of uh, explaining some of the research that led me here. Um, but instead of having to transport a ton of waste to a, to a certain location to treat it, you can potentially transport a kilogram of these eggs to the ton of waste and treat it at the source of generation. And that is a thousand times uh, efficiency gain in, in, treating, in treating the waste. Now there's, of course, all the systems that, that have to be created around that, and there's a lot more that you could talk about. But that, that's essentially um, kind of what my research focused on, was the business models for producing these black soldier fly lar larvae. Should it be done centrally, where all the waste is brought to a central point? And, and processed with the larvae there? Um, or should it be done decentralized, where each farmer, for example, uh, would maintain their own fly colony and their own black soldier fly larvae and feed them to their own animals? Or semi-decentralized or hybrid approach, where the colonies are maintained centrally, but then the eggs or the young larvae are, are then transported to the source of the waste uh, and and then the, the larvae treat the waste on site. And there's, I, I see a lot of potential in that model. 
That's incredible. This is, I think I've heard you describe this as like the ultimate circular economy. So really exciting stuff. It, it does. It, it has, I mean, there, there's a, there are a lot of problems to figure out. There are a lot of challenges to overcome still with, with this and figuring out how to, how to scale it effectively, how to make it very cost effective and a lot of, uh, a lot of other questions around it. Um, but the, the tight circularity is really, really interesting about this, that you've got the food waste, it's consumed within a matter of weeks, and then it becomes a high protein feed source. There's also fertilizer that's produced from it that can be just that can be used um, to replenish soils. And it's displacing fish meal and soybeans uh, as altern- as as the typical feed source for fish and poultry. And that, that has a huge impact on, on fish populations, on potentially deforestation, and yeah, there's there's a lot of potential for it. And Ryan, you mentioned that fertilizer is one of the kind of byproducts of this this process of using black soldier flies with organic waste. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So basically, you end up uh, after feeding these these larvae, you end up with one part larvae, which uh, which can then be fed to animals, and then one part fertilizer, which can be first has to mature, but then uh, can be applied to, to crops, so to, can, can be applied to soil to regenerate soils. Um, so really it's helping on, on both sides there, both on the, on the animal rearing side, but also on the, on the crop production side. And I guess something that I, that I didn't mention earlier, which, uh, which, I, which is really important, and, and this came up very strongly in my research, is, is how the farmers are being impacted by this. Um, feed prices right now are through the roof and and that's that's happened just over the last couple of years as prices of everything has has increased uh, but also as a result of of the war in ukraine which has sent feed and and synthetic fertilizer prices through the roof and so these farmers some of them are having to exit animal rearing entirely because it's just not productive. It's it's not profitable for them anymore because of the high prices of feed. So you by introducing something like this black soldier fly <clears throat> production, it it's really interesting um, because it it allows people to continue to rear animals. So either either generates income through through animal product through rearing animals or through raising the larvae and selling them as animal feed. So there are these economic opportunities that are that are generated to people who are having to exit an entire an entire market because of because of global forces and outside of their control. Ryan, I'm interested in in your next steps after the MBA. What's what's the plan for you? I'll be going back to it's it's not entirely decided yet, but I'll be going back either to Kenya or to Ghana. Um, and and working in the waste space, so black soldier fly definitely an opportunity there, and I'm I'm continuing to look into that, uh, potentially starting something um, in in that space, and working with people that I was able to to meet over the summer, or joining a, an existing company that's that's already doing interesting things. So yeah, really, it, it's it's open at this point, but definitely get back to, to Sub-Saharan Africa and um, and work in the waste industry. 
very exciting things to come for you. Um, I'm going to start to wrap this up. So we do have one question that we're going to be asking all of our guests uh, at the end of every podcast. And that is, what do you think the future of business will look like in 100 years? So in 2122. I think the future of business will be defined by unparalleled cooperation. Like up to this point, there's there's so much competitiveness and Adam Smith's invisible hand and being driven by self-interest. Like that's what the economy has been typified by up to this point. And you can see that there is there are benefits of that, but there are also a lot of problems from that. Um, so skipping forward a hundred years past, who knows what comes in between? But yeah, I think I think what will uh, characterize it is less the competitiveness and more. Um, I guess less the self-interest driving the economy and more the, the interest of each other and, and cooperation to to solve problems and to address needs. Let's hope so. Uh, that brings this episode to a close. Thank you so much to Ryan Kaplan, my fantastic guest. Uh, you've been listening to the Future of Business podcast from the Oxford MBA cohort. If you liked this podcast, please jump on wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe and keep your eyes out for a future episode. I've been your host, Catherine. Cheers.